This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. Your guide on the side. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. So the Thanksgiving festivities are dying down, and you're probably still digesting the rest of that pumpkin pie. And now, today is the day when all of those feelings of gratitude and service turn into materialistic desires. It's Black Friday, the day when everyone forgets that they have a soul and and they do whatever it takes to get the best deal on their merchandise. You might even be listening to this episode on your way to the store right now. This consumerism is an epidemic, and I think it's something that we might need to talk about. So we're going to listen to a couple of different interviews today addressing two sides of consumerism mentality. We're going to start with a little bit with Meg Conley, where she gives us some reasons why she thinks money can make us happy and what things we need to buy specifically that might make us happier. Uh, apparently, you're a consumer. Here's the thing. We're always Because you have told... new clothes every time you come. Right. But, well, sure. Every I do time have a, you I, come. Not every time. No, every time. But um, I'm also innovative with the way that I pair outfits so that they appear new. But yeah, I buy That's new true. clothes. Let's, that let me just Let me help translate that. Sure. Uh, you break all of the rules of fashion. <laughs> sure. Like right now I'm wearing a, a – well, actually, platinum floral. That totally goes together. I, this is a good – yeah. I mean, it looks pretty. I mean, it I, works. I, but, feel, I feel very – like I feel like it could be like in a Ralph Lauren catalog or but something. But let's just be real. Do you think that – like let's just say James wore a floral pants. Sure. Uh, pants, and then he wore a plaid shirt. Yeah. Do you th- Do that, James. I'm for you, real. No, but do that. Do you think he could pull that off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Meg. Meg, I appreciate your vote of confidence. Yeah, I think oh, that's great. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. But listen, Done. I am a consumer. We're all consumers, right? People mm-hmm. who pretend they're not, they're just jokesters. I'm a consumer. It's, it's not a real thing. Like, everybody consumes. So I think consume in a way that brings you joy. People say, money can't buy happiness. And I'm like, pshaw. Like, it kind of can. Pshaw? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pshaw. It's Psh. just, because listen... <sighs> Yeah, I mean the the That's money itself, holding cash. Yeah. Doesn't well, maybe happy. for some people for that minute, might be yeah. happy. I like but, to just throw it all over me. Sure, sure. It's very demi more of yeah, you, but, but um, just what for, I do. for the for the most part, that's not joyful. No. But money is the currency that we cur- we I like use. to buy people a meal. Sure. So you, if I could just here here we go buying the meal. Right. Nobody you, think about it. I, you know, you've never bought us a meal. I know. Or, or really anything. I, I, I like to. <laughs> I, I would like to someday buy you something. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so so you're buying experiences. Mm-hmm. You're, you're purchasing things that help you better represent yourself. So I think that there are a few things, especially as a woman, that you basically have an obligation to spend money on. For your is, for your happiness right now and in the future. So is this list only for women? Um, so this comes from my perspective. So I would love to know what's different on okay. a man's list. Okay. Well, I, just, I tried to make them. I could. I'm okay. like well, Halo. I don't know. No, no, no. So, <laughs> you're, you're not a man. So no. well, I will. You will describe the female, and then I will take the male. Okay. Version. Okay. So first of all, okay. number one, get yourself a haircut. 
Stop cutting it yourself. Don't mm. go to $5 cuts. Find someone that is a reasonable price that knows what they're doing and can give you a nice haircut every six weeks. But like, okay. You deserve that. And it's a matter of representing who you are. Just look around the room for a second. Sure. Just look around. Not as much hair here as you would. Yeah. So... But still, that, that's getting cut. Both, both those... I'm just, I just, I just feel bad that you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the deal, though. Um, but you get your hair cut, and sure. you, but you like to just let it go. <laughs> right, let but it this, go. but this, this actually, <laughs> this takes some work. Does it? Yeah, you got to get this, you to like get the rat's nest thing going that I have going on. That's like every eight no, weeks it's, you it's, go in and get it trimmed. No, but it's cute. It's not like, it's not, I wouldn't even say rat's nesty. <laughs> But it's just, you let it go. It's so, a look. Okay. So, like, find a way to represent yourself. Go out and get yourself some clothes that Okay. Fit. Let's do this. Okay. But so, first, you said get a haircut. Get a haircut. Women feel so guilty. And I think that there's a couple yeah. of reasons they feel guilty. First of all, anytime we spend money on ourselves, we feel horrible, which is ridiculous. Right. You've got to take care of yourself first. Um, second of all, I think that we feel guilty that we get 45 minutes to sit by ourselves while somebody serves us. I think that that makes us feel like we shouldn't be here. We should be taking care of our kids. We should be taking care of our yeah. husbands. L- they can take care of themselves yeah. for a while, okay? I have like, that. Go yeah, guys and take the time. I, okay, I've got one that's, that's a corollary to that. Uh, for the guys, uh, buy a sports car. Yeah, no, no, not the same. But... But if no, you but have the, what do you mean not the same? If you have the, it's the same. If you have, uh, if, your hair is if, an extension you of have, you. If you have the means to do that, yes, of course, sure, okay. make yourself happy. What There's nothing you, wrong with that. What if you don't have the means? Find find For another. Even a well, so there are beauty schools. I mean, like That's if you true. go if you go to the Aveda Beauty School, mm-hmm. it'll take two hours because they're learning and they're showing yeah. their instructors. But it's actually this great experience, yeah. and it costs eight dollars. You can rent a car. You could I could rent a Maserati for a half a day. Or you can you know you can get an older car and fix it up. I mean, like I could get a Lexus. The, the, the car thing is is a uh, like a harder. I don't know that those are direct parallels. <laughs> Seems close to me. Oh man. Anyway, um, okay. Let's. Oh. Do we want to start the next one? Because you've got four more. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next one, the next one's easy. Buy yourself some clothes. I'm sick of women walking around yes. with clothes that are too big, um, too, too small, yeah. 10 years old yeah. with holes in them. I have clothes that are 10 years old, but they are clothes that are still in, in very good repair. And, and if so they're those not, are, it doesn't matter. You'll pull them off. And so those are great. I yeah. mean, that's a great thing to wear. But I think, I think that women, again, you can go to, I have gotten so many clothes at the local thrift store mm-hmm. and they don't fit quite right. And so then I take them to a tailor and for $5, they fit Boom. perfectly. And so it's a $7 dress. That's at great. the end of the day. So you can be creative. Not everything has to come from Nordstrom. Yep. But you do have to decide that you your body is worth honoring with things that fit it. Mm. So go out and buy yourself a couple new pieces of clothing today. That's really good. <laughs> that is really good. Honor your body yes. by buying it something to wear. Yes. I'm for I'm, I'm no, I, I think it's a great thing. Yes. I'm and just, women don't do that They either. don't at all because they're... they're yeah, they'll buy their kids stuff. They'll buy everything, sure. but they don't. I'm I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I have several dresses I've walked I walk around in still that have like holes in the back or something. Mm-hmm. So I have to wear like a shirt over it, yeah. looped so you don't see the hole. My husband's like, it's time for you to wear clothes that don't have holes in them. Like, okay, let's, let's do I've that. I've got the correlate. I've got the correlation. Oh, the corollary. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Buy a boat. <laughs> so the guys should buy a boat. See, I feel like it's for an men, extension. It's like it's an extension. It's like what would man. your list be? 
uh, bacon on a sandwich, any kind of sandwich. <sighs> Write that down. I need bacon um, to be I one think of the it, five. I think it would be um, well, like we... a pay-per-view uh, like yeah. fight, fight of some sort uh-huh. once a year. Yeah. Like well, you guys, Sean says no, but I, yeah, I'd go with that. Some, some, whatever no, no, that just is. some major sporting sure, event. Some yeah, kind a of trip major... to Yankee Stadium. <gasps> sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. See, this is so easy. Okay, so you've got so far, let's be clear. Um, get a haircut. Yes. And uh, buy some clothes. Yes. The guys would say, get a Porsche and uh, a boat. I'm not sure which guys you're talking about here. I guess the cool, the cool guys. The cool guys, okay. <laughs> I guess that's what you're talking You're making about. me sound so reasonable. It's great. I know. I love when you're the crazy I'm trying one. to help you <laughs> lift your argument. Oh, Meg. Meg Conley's here from Meg in Progress. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today's Black Friday, so we're talking about consumerism. We just listened to a segment with Meg Conley where she said that she thinks that maybe money can buy us happiness and that spending your money on things that can improve your identity and the way you feel about yourself and see yourself can be a positive thing. So now let's listen to someone who might have an opposing view to that. This next interview is with Dr. Ian Zimmerman. He says we are what we consume and talks about the pros and cons of consuming materialistic goods. Hey, one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked about, I, we, I found an article or, um, in your blog on Psychology Today. Psychology Today blog, it's, it's entitled Sold. It's just a great resource um, for anything we're going to talk about. If you want to go learn more about Ian, go to that blog and you can read a bunch of his articles. So, Ian, uh, talk to me here. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder if we, if we are even aware of some of the consuming or the consumption we're doing, A, but B, do we even know what's going on behind it that might be driving it? So you're an expert in this. What, what, what is your study? What is consumer kind of behavior and consumer studies? What are you doing there? Um, well, specifically, my research gets into the kind of um, intersection between um, uh, kind of implicit social cognitions, or, you know, maybe you could say implicit attitudes and consumer behavior. Okay. So when I say implicit attitudes, I mean kind of, you know, knee-jerk reactions to things. It's like subtle, though, but like things, things that aren't, it's, I guess it's things that we don't, we're not cognitively aware of. Is that what you're saying? More implicit. We can be aware of them, but they can be unconscious. I mean, I guess the, uh, the way in which they're most unconscious is that they uh, can influence our behavior without our awareness. Hmm. So, you know, if we have a, a favorable, implicit attitude towards some product, that attitude could lead us to buy the product, and we may not know it's the attitude leading us to buy that product. Yes, that is my problem. Apple 101. <laughs> it just it, There's an implied, there's something behind it that to me has always said, that's what you want to buy, because that's what the popular people are doing. 
or whatever. It's a great example. What do you what do you see? How do you see that? Um, you know, how do you see that our behaviors? Uh, well, like you, you, you talk about consumption. You know, we are what we consume is a phrase you've used. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, basically, uh, we use the products we buy, and you know, the things we consume to help construct and maintain an identity. Um, you know, sometimes. Uh, I mean, it can get pretty subtle, too. I mean, or maybe not subtle, but specific. I mean, we can make pretty careful consumption decisions as uh, part of an identity maintenance strategy. Huh. Like we're building our identity. It, that's interesting because we don't know. We don't, I guess we don't always think that, that as we're out making, as we're out making purchases, as even the stores we choose to go to. The the brands we tend to wear, the places we want to live, the things we put in our house, it's all of a, part of a strategy of our building our own identity. Yeah, and I mean, even things that you would think um, uh, would not be, uh, not lend themselves to these kinds of considerations can. So, for instance, they found that people's choice of leisure activities in the evening can be influenced by consideration of the, uh, their implications for identity. So, you know, me, for instance, um, I work in academia. So if I'm sitting down for the evening and deciding whether I should read a book or watch TV, it might occur to me that reading a book is a little more consistent with somebody who is an academic. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. So your purchases, your activities, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're healthy... You would, um, you, if you had a choice between, you know, riding your bike or eating a bowl of popcorn watching a show, you'd probably need to go get on the bike. Right. Hmm. And, and not doing so might make you feel as if you had somehow kind of, uh, you know, failed in your efforts to maintain this identity. That's interesting. So a lot of our, our purchases and just consumption of life and even, I guess, use of our own time, resources, uh, activities are driven by this image, this impression we want to make, and that—that that is, I guess, that's very implicit. I mean, it's subtle, isn't it? It's sometimes it's not—it's not always obvious that you're trying to build your own brand here. Yeah, I—I I, I would imagine that a lot of these decisions can uh, we may not be um, completely aware. Yeah, we may not carefully consider the ins and outs of all of these decisions. Does, is this why, I guess, uh, that, that adds a little bit of a twist when you think of a celebrity, you know, a professional athlete that's endorsing something, I guess we somehow want to be aligned to that? Is that what that's about? Um, absolutely. I, I think that we, um, when we see a liked celebrity endorsing a product, um, you know, we can come to kind of identify with that celebrity, and then, you know, we may start to use that product as a uh, means of, um, or as, I guess, an expression of that identification. Hmm. Is, is this, I guess, is, it's not all a bad thing, right? It's, I guess it's also, it's a good thing. Help us understand how this theory, you know, of consumption, we are what we consume, I guess that it's a good thing. How so? 
Well, I mean, it can be good to the extent that, I mean, if the identities we create, you know, help us to feel good about ourselves, that can increase our self-esteem. Yeah. Or if the identities we create help us to feel as if we're accepted members of social groups that we like, that too can give us a sense of um, belongingness and, you know, self-esteem. Hmm. So in that way, consuming as part of an identity uh, construction and uh, maintenance effort can be beneficial. Where, where can it go the other way? It, where does it become, I guess, is it just... You know, overconsumption. You know, maybe like obsession with one concept. I mean, how 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 can then such a consumption become less healthy? I guess well, if it's keeping think, us from people too, or belonging. I think that in terms of uh, identity, the uh, kind of quintessential example of um, consumption having an adverse impact on our identities is when we try to achieve unrealistic beauty standards. Yeah. So, you know, when we see, when women see very thin women on television, or when men see very muscular men on television, and um, they think that they should look this way in order to look good, this can... um, and, you know, consequently, the fact that they don't look that way currently can uh, kind of adversely affect their body image and make them feel unattractive. No, that's... Kind of stint- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's real, right? That's where, that's, where we see, uh, that's where we see people doing really harsh things to their body to seemingly fit in. Right, exactly. You know, we can, you know, this... Um, uh, lower body image and, you know, the desire to improve it uh, can lead us to by, it can, I mean, it can be, it can lead us to consume things in, I guess, a relatively harmless fashion. You know, it may lead us to work out more, Yeah. which I guess isn't necessarily bad, but if it's leading us to work out too much. Right, take steroids or do anything thing. else. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if it leads to maybe unnecessary cosmetic surgery. Right. That's arguably bad. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Ian Zimmerman, and he is a teaching assistant teaching professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at the University of Missouri. He's also uh, run, running a blog on psychology today. you got to go check out the blog. Um, on the blog, it's, uh, it's called Psychology Today um, Sold? Question mark? Sold? It's a great blog about, uh, are you being sold? A bill of goods. I just added the bill of goods. We're going to come back more with Dr. Zimmerman when we come back. We're also going to be getting into impulse buying. He's going to give us some insight into why we uh, tend to purchase the way we do and, you know, if we're maybe too impulsive. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. I'm Leanna Tan, and this is The Matt Townsend Show. 
So my husband and I recently moved into a new apartment and his parents gave us some new furniture. And as a final touch to our living room, I really wanted to get some new throw pillows. And of course, my husband couldn't really see how that was a wise purchase since we already had some. But I wanted ones that, you know, I had chosen and that I felt matched our furniture the way I wanted to. So I went out and got some. And I spent decent money on those. But I was very thorough about my search and calculated in my decision. Well, let's fast forward a couple of weeks. And I'm at the craft store looking for, I don't know, markers or something. And then I see this throw pillow that's on sale. Did I need it? Well, not necessarily. I had just barely gotten some new throw pillows. But the price was so good compared to the ones I had just bought. And I figured I could, you know, switch them out or in justifying this reason I could purchase it. And so I bought it. (sighs) Yeah. And my husband just kind of laughed when he saw that. But I thought about that. Why do we do this over and over again? Sometimes we are so calculated and so thorough about our purchases, and other times we just seem to buy things on impulse. Well, we just listened to a segment with Ian Zimmerman where he talked about this idea that the products we buy create our identity. And we're going to continue this interview, and in this next part, he's going to talk about the science behind impulse buying and why we seem to give into these temptations. One of the things we wanted to get into, Dr. Zimmerman, was impulse buying. I mean, it seems like a lot of the the times that we have some buyer's remorse or some regrets, at least for me, is when I buy stuff that I don't even know why I bought it. Okay, here's a perfect example. I took some friends out to to get ice cream, like shakes, last night. They were in from out of town. Um, wonderful experience. And I went up to pay, and right there is a pouch <laughs> of um, macaroni and cheese cheese that you put on pasta and it makes macaroni and cheese from the, the this place using their brand, their taste, their flavor of macaroni and cheese. Just so you know, I have never once consumed macaroni and cheese from this place, ever. But it was sitting right there and I like macaroni and cheese and I bought it. It was just $2. Is that for your ice cream? No, I'm going to take it home. That's what I was thinking. No, I'm going to take it home. It's Now I've got it, so now I can put it in storage, and I can now have macaroni and cheese that will taste like this wonderful restaurant, even though I've never tasted it. Okay, so here's the deal. Dr. Zimmerman, teach us, why did I do that? And I wasn't under the influence of any alcohol or drugs. Maybe I was okay. over-sugared or over-creamed. I'm not sure. Why would well, I do such a thing? There are a number of potential explanations. Um, one that sprung to mind when you mentioned that uh, this product was located at the uh, same place where you pay for your purchases yes. would be uh, a phenomenon referred to as ego depletion. Mm. So ego depletion is basically a state that results after we... Uh, exert self-control. So when we have to exert self-control, say, for instance, uh, because we were resisting the temptation to buy certain things, yes, this depletes a limited kind of a 
mental or cognitive resources that we use for acts of self-control. <laughs> and um, that's huge. When these resources are temporarily depleted, yeah, we um, be- basically become more impulsive, and we have less ability to resist the urge to buy products oh, that we man. may encounter. You and just described my marriage, by the way. <laughs> you just because I was sitting with my wife, who has a ton of strength. And we shared a shake. We were the only ones at the table that shared one. And then I went up to pay the bill by myself, depleted of all strength, and I bought mac and cheese. And then when I showed it to her later, she's like, why? I don't know. I'm going to ask the doctor today. So now I've got it, Dr. Zimmerman. That's, that's a, that, they call that ego depletion, huh? Yeah. And I guess that's a real thing. So does it matter then, I guess, when we're shopping or how we're shopping? I mean, I guess we don't want to go shopping if we've been fighting off, you know, temptations all day. Because <laughs> then yeah, we might that, go buy everything. exactly it. You know, if uh, we tend to be more impulsive uh, in the evening than in the morning. Yeah. Because, you know, throughout the day, not only have we been uh, using self-control for various things, but, you know, we also tend to be a little more impulsive simply because, you know, we're more physically tired. You know, yeah. the depletion of that physical energy also makes it more difficult to uh, resist temptation. Hmm. No, I, you can almost see that. I mean, a lot of when you hear of, I don't know, a politician getting in trouble, I mean, they're they're probably battling demons all day, fighting in Congress, and then they have a little free time and they get in trouble. It's interesting. At night, who would think, really, the—I mean, it really is like a—it's like a—it's a—it seems like a muscle. And once your muscles are tired, you're more likely to fall. No, that's it, exactly it. That, that's the uh, analogy that's very often used. That's interesting, too. Infomercials. They're always at night. James here, he can't go to bed without watching seven infomercials. And that's probably worn him down. Then he, then he, and he, and that's the problem because it's not the first one because he'll use all of his character to fight off the first three or four with things he doesn't need, and then he'll lose it, and then he'll end up purchasing the sixth thing he doesn't need. Hmm, like a blimp, like a blimp. Oh boy, Doctor Zimmerman, give us some more. Uh, you talked about one of the things you talked about is how, um, how you know, connections and making we, how we, we mention the connections and we make them with our products. How does the audience end up? Um, it, does the connection is, does that make us more impulsive to buy something? Like if I can see an immediate connection to uh, my favorites, like I, I always say my kids, I like to buy music on iTunes and I always say it's for my kids. And to me, that seems like a great connection, but really it's me listening to the music. Um, but it's it makes it so I can be more impulsive. If I find a song I really like, I just buy it. it does does I guess does the purchase connected to people and relationships make it more easy to buy? More are we more impulsive that way? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when we form a personal connection with a product, we're certainly more likely to buy it impulsively because when we feel personally connected to a product our minds actually start to perceive it differently. They start to perceive it as if we already own it hmm. before we've actually purchased it. And, you know, once our minds start to perceive it, that we already own it, we'll feel deprived if we don't buy it. 
Right. Because, you know, it's almost like we feel like, well, I own it, but I can't take it home with me. <laughs> so, oh, it's so subtle, isn't it? Well, what other influences, you know, you know, drive some of this impulsive purchasing? Well, I mean, it's funny, you know, you mentioned uh, Apple, you know, buying songs on iTunes. I think that the practice of um, one-click buying is something that definitely facilitates impulse buying. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about impulse buying is that one of its kind of um, defining qualities is that it often involves not considering a purchase thoroughly. So, you know, when you're on iTunes and, you know, you're considering buying a song, all you have to do is just click one click yeah, and it's downloading. But, you know, if you had to, uh, just say you were buying some product online and in order to purchase it, you had to add it to your cart, then visit the cart page, yeah, then check out, then populate an order form, then provide your credit card information, select your shipping, <laughs> and then actually confirm the purchase. Basically, every one of those different pages in the purchase process, there's a barrier um, at which you can change your mind about the purchase. Yeah. But with one-click shopping, there, there's barrier, there's only one barrier, one very weak barrier. That that's interesting, and and we it seems like in order to facilitate a one step process, we have to go in, you know, previously and and go through the process of making it really easy to be, to be in that one step process. We have to fill everything out once. So I guess maybe that's some advice, huh? That if we want to avoid impulse buying, maybe try to the best we can avoid getting in a system that's a one step system. Don't don't go do all the pre work to get signed up so you can just one button it if you've already right, got a problem. Exactly. I mean, I do that right. on Amazon. It's the same thing, right? And once yeah, you're in right. and you've given them everything, all, I mean, what's funny, ironically, is then all of a sudden my kids become impulsive buyers, and all of a sudden I've got ten purchases. How did you guys do this? Oh yeah, we just said yes. I'll buy it now. Yeah. It's it's interesting because when you get into this, Dr. Zimmerman, again, we're talking with Dr. Zimmerman, who is uh, an assistant teaching professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at the University of Missouri. He's also a blogger on Psychology Today. Go check out his blog, Sold. Um, it really is uh, – it's it's something we, we can pay more attention to. And I guess it seems like we don't. We just We just kind of go with the flow a lot of times. Is that right? You mean impulse buying? Yeah. Well, just in, well, yeah, in all of our purchases and consumption. We don't usually look as deep as you're looking. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, we certainly are capable of making very careful, controlled decisions, and they do, of course, sometimes happen. But, yeah, I think that our decisions occur on autopilot uh, a lot more than many people might think. Yeah. Uh, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to take a break and come back. With Dr. Zimmerman, he's going to talk about where true happiness really lies. It, it's it's rarely at the bottom of a shopping bag. We're going to talk materialism, and again, our, our relationships. How much of this really is involving our relationships and the people around us? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're talking about your purchasing behavior, your consumerism, right here on BYU Radio. 
we're back with the rest of today's Matt Townsend episode. I hope you're enjoying your Black Friday, and as you're running around to hit all those sales, we just want to make sure that, you know, you keep your head on straight. So we're listening to an interview with Ian Zimmerman about the theory of consumerism. In the last segment, he talked about the science behind impulse buying and introduced this idea of ego depletion, where Every time we exert willpower or resist temptation, it depletes our resources slightly to do it again until we recharge our willpower. I had never thought about it that way. And he said that this can be both physical and emotional or mental. And I think that's why they say don't go shopping if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired because all of those emotions drain some of our resources that recharge our willpower. And he also said that our personal connection with something can make us want to buy it more. So if we make a personal connection with it, then our mind will suddenly perceive it as our own. And then if we don't buy it, we'll feel like we're depriving ourselves. And I, I totally know what he means. Like in the instance of me buying that extra throw pillow, once I saw it, I suddenly pictured it was nesting right there on my couch and coming home from work and seeing it there greeting me and, you know, picturing it giving a little extra flair to my home come January. And then I was like, well, if I don't buy this, then I'm going to be missing out. And I think we all fall prey to this. We see the commercials or the beautiful mannequins in the window or the flashy price tags, and we equate these material possessions with our happiness. And then we feel like we're missing out if we don't purchase these items. So in this last segment, Dr. Zimmerman talks about this and discusses the relationship materialism really has to our happiness and well-being. Talk about materialism for us. I mean, in your blog, you ha- you talked about a relationship between materialism and well-being, right? And um, so what is that relationship? I mean, there's, we assume, you know, it's good for us. It doesn't matter what we purchase. But is there an impact of our well-being based on our materialism? Sure. Um... You know, a lot of commercial advertising would lead us to believe that, you know, buying products we see on television and on the Internet can make us happier. I mean, products are advertised with promises of happiness all the time. However, a lot of research really does not support this idea. Uh, You know, to the contrary, most research on the uh, topic has uh, detected a relationship between higher levels of materialism and less happiness. Really? And I'm assuming because your taxes get more complicated. (laughs) Is that what it is? I mean, it really, life's hard. It's hard. When you have a bigger house, you have to do more weeding. (laughs) That's how I've found. I mean, and I don't even have a big house. But so what is the connection? I guess it's just we're then consumed by our consumption. Well, I mean, there's a few uh, explanations for the uh, relationship between materialism and unhappiness. One uh, gets into the things on which materialistic individuals tend to focus. So people who are more materialistic tend to focus more on their possession, you know, sometimes to the point of neglecting kind of uh, less tangible values Hmm. like family and friendship. Yeah. And the thing about 
those things, family and friendship, they are associated with increased happiness. So to the extent we neglect them, we may be doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah, because how many times do you hear someone say, look, I'm only, I'm only going to work to get a house and stuff for you. So, and yet, they're, you know, you're getting the house, you're getting, you have to work, but you also have to make sure you're not losing the family. You have to focus on the non-materialistic things. Yeah, I agree. I think that, um, I mean, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, working really hard, that's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. No. Especially if, you know, uh, what you do is noble, or especially if you like what you do. But the person who, uh, you know, kills himself at the office simply to make lots of money, especially that he or she doesn't need... Um, I think is probably making a mistake. I mean, I guess to kind of sum it up in a statement, nobody's last words were ever, I wish I spent more time at the office. Right. Well, except Nixon. Nixon, <laughs> he was ticked about that. No, that's so true. Isn't that true? Um, and, and then you, you also even have found a correlation, I guess, uh, with some of this materialism and insecurity. Sure, yeah, that's another... Um, theory that's been proposed to explain the relationship between materialism and unhappiness. It's said realistic individuals tend to be more insecure, and so use possessions, uh, that is to say, you know, high-status possessions that can be used to impress others to compensate for that feeling of insecurity. Hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it rings true. It totally rings true. Does, is there a way to know what's the sign? Is there a sign that you're too materialistic? How do you know when it's kind of slipping away from you and you're becoming maybe too possession-minded, too possession-oriented? I mean, to my mind, I think that if you, if you feel as if you won't be happy until you own a certain possession, you know, Right. You have a certain article of clothing, you have a certain car, you have a certain size house, then you're probably too materialistic. Does it, does this is this different with children? Because it, it, my children, all of the time, are telling me what else they need to be, you know, more happy, like a golf cart, um, twenty dollar pair of socks. Uh, all of these things. Is it different with children who are already maybe trying to create their identity, build their identity around that? Have, have you seen anything in the research about, are they, do they tend to be more materialistic? I'm not sure if children are more materialistic than adults, but children are certainly capable of materialistic values. Um, in fact, children at a very young age can develop uh, brand preferences. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Disney oh, Channel. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny, and it gets into the whole area of the uh, you know controversy surrounding advertising and marketing targeting children. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's not right that young children would have strong brand preferences. And a lot of marketers will justify this uh, 
phenomenon by saying, well, you know, kids these days are very, uh, they're, they're a lot smarter, you know, they're very um, knowledgeable and savvy. But, you know, a lot of psychologists would respond to that by saying, well, you know, it really isn't a matter of intelligence that, you know, the uh, fact that children can express brand preferences at a young age simply reflects the fact that they are susceptible to the influence That's of advertising. Right. They're being advertised to. Uh, yeah, isn't that what a great? There, there's a great sales job right there. You know, these children are, are there. I mean, seriously, they can recognize four out of five brands. Well, they shouldn't. They should just first learn how to clean their room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my marketing. It's that's a fascinating thing, and um, and yet I guess too that's our job of our as a parent is to make sure we're not, I guess, allowing too many touches from the marketing world, or at least that we're in there influencing them as well on creating the right values around their their purchases. Right. And, you know, that also speaks to another, um, I guess, another kind of source of this controversy surrounding advertising targeting children, because when parents forbid children from having certain products they want, the children won't always understand their parents' rationale for mm. forbidding the products, and right. this can create a stress between parents and children. What do we do there? I guess just talk, communicate yeah, better, I mean, share better what our thinking is. It's a really tough situation because, you know, I mean, you know, when you ask me what do we do about it, my, my kind of, the first thing I want to say is, don't expose children to advertising. Yeah. But in practice, that's impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the combination of, um, you know, moderated exposure and, and critical consumption of advertising content is probably a, a good way to go. Two great phrases, moderated exposure. So minimizes at least your, your present in their exposure, your understanding. And then what was the third uh, or the second one? Critical consumption. Uh, critical consumption. Be critical of, of every, I guess, it's interesting, be just as critical of the advertising and maybe talk through the advertising just as much as you talk through the shows that you're watching with them. Or, I mean, it's not even shows anymore, is it? It's video games, it's apps, it's everywhere. Right. Yeah. Critical. That's great. Um, well, I, I really appreciate uh, your work and just your insight because... You know, we, we're using our marketing, aren't we, to, to create this identity and to make kind of a better sense of who we are or at least who we think we're trying to project ourselves to be. we got about 20 seconds left. Can you, what's, what would you say is the one thing we should be doing as consumers to make sure we don't lose ourselves and we understand better what we're, what we're, what we're buying? I mean, basically, if you're spending more money than you have, or you're buying things you know you don't need, you should probably curb your consumption. Yeah. No, know that there's a problem. I like that message Dr. Zimmerman left with us. Most research actually indicates that more materialistic values lead to less feelings of happiness and satisfaction because 
materialistic people focus more on their possessions than their values. And values like family and friendship have been shown to associate with higher levels of happiness and acceptance and satisfaction. And I also think that a lot of times we buy things because they make us nostalgic. Earlier on in the episode, Matt and Ian talked about how we make personal connections with items and then we end up buying them. And I think the personal connection we often make with material things are memories. You know, you think, I have to buy a real Christmas tree because I remember the smell of it in my house growing up. Or I have to have that brand of basketball hoop because that's what kind I had when my dad taught me how to shoot a hoop. Or I have to stock these cookies in my house because my grandma always had these specific cookies. And I think on the one hand, it can be a good thing. It brings us pleasure and these are triggers for fond memories. But I think it's important to remember that material things are just that, triggers. You aren't actually buying the warmth of your home at Christmas growing up or your grandma's love or the happiness you felt playing ball with your dad. Material possessions are not the same as happiness. And so I hope that on this Black Friday and as we move into this Christmas season, we can remember that. It's not about how big a gift you can fit under the tree. It's about enjoying those priceless moments with your family and friends you'll never find sitting on the shelf of Walmart or on a sale in a catalog again. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode, everyone. Happy Black Friday. I'm Leanna Tan bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.